It's right at the bottom of your bulletins. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. Good morning, church family. Can you feel the time of year that we're in? And I say that with a little bit of uh, chill in my bones. But at the same time, I think it's something that we need to be nostalgic about and also be hopeful for. Um, I do have a question. Does anybody know where the clicker is? Because unfortunately... The link is not working on my iPad. Just, just questioning. Today, we're going to take a journey that um, may or may not be to some of your liking because some of you like answers and definitive answers, and today, this is more of a journey and a study um, about the season that we're in. And I, I've got a bunch of pictures here and things like that. Thank you very much. Um, but I think it's very important for us to realize that as we study the Bible, sometimes there are answers that are left unsaid. And today, I've named this the, um, in your bulletin, I want you to look at your bulletin just for a second. What did I name this? Rise of the Sun God. What's interesting about this is that it also could have this title and it would be almost the same. And you're, you're like, oh no, pastor's gone pagan. But it's, I really have not, um, the rise of the Son of God. Both of those, this time of year, have merged. Both of those two things have merged into something that we call the holiday season or Christmas. And in doing this, I don't want anybody to come to the realization that uh, Christmas is an evil time of year because I do not believe that. I believe it is a time of giving. But I do want to take the journey and show you how we got to today. And I think it's a very, very interesting thing because, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum, does it? I mean, just leave something on the kitchen table, it doesn't automatically become something else. Well, unless it's molding. But uh, sometimes it's just, it's left there, and then other people add to it and all this kind of stuff, and it becomes something different. So I'd like you to take a look at a text with me that will kind of blow you out of the water at first, but then we need to go into description of what that really means and uh, some of the other references that have happened. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me to the last book in the Old Testament. And kids, if you want to count words, number one, Christmas. Number two, Son, S-U-N. The third one, S-O-N. And we're going to start now. But I'm going to read the entire chapter of Malachi, chapter 4, and verse 2 is where this kind of sticks out to us. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming with them will set ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, which is people that believe in God, like us, the sun, does yours spell weird? 
Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And here's where the thing gets a little weird. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall, and you will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of their feet on the day I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I have commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children of their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Now, is this literal speech? Is this literal? It's not. It's really talking symbolically, is it not? It's talking about God coming back and rescuing his people. Does Jesus show up with wings? No, he does not show up with wings, but wings typify something, a movement, and uh, being able to move really quickly. So in this, it's talking about the Son, and it's talking about Jesus being the S-O-N, and it's talking about that he will come and he will rescue his people forever and ever and ever. And so we're talking about something here right before the New Testament, and we always say right before the New Testament, did you know this page right here has 400, almost 500 years? I mean, that's crazy. Between the Old and New Testament, we have about 490 years, 450 probably, years of nothing. And so what shows up next is the Messiah. Today, let's look in a couple different texts. I want to show you about light this time of year because every, it seems like everywhere I go now, everything is lit up, is it not? You go down to the Capitol building, it's all lit up inside and out. You go to neighborhoods around here. Does anybody live in a neighborhood like mine where, I mean, I'm the only one that doesn't really have lights on my house. I'm kind of embarrassed. No? Oh, I see the children. They're like, I saw mom and dad. <laughs> It's amazing, this time of year, we like to light things up because what is this time of year? Darkness. And it goes down really early. For the children, Sabbath evening, it's like, yay, because it doesn't last until 9 or 10 o'clock. They're like, the sun's down, we can do all we want. On Friday, everybody's like, oh. <laughs> oh, don't tell me you don't think that. I see it on some of the kids, they're smiling really, really broad right now. But this time of year, you see lights because we want to light up everything around us. Imagine what it was like before we had electricity. Does anybody remember not having electricity in their house? There's a few. My grandparents told me that they did not have indoor plumbing for a very, very long time in the South and uh, that they had to have these hurricane lamps and things like that. I know how to use a hurricane lamp because my grandparents in one house they had that when I went to visit didn't still have electricity. So it's interesting how things happen. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. Like I said, this is a journey today. So we're kind of taking a look at this time of year and the traditions, and light is one of the biggest ones. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great what? Great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Another one is 2 Corinthians, 
chapter 4, verse 6. I went flying right by it. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God said, light shall shine out of darkness. It is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of whom? Jesus Christ. So you see, Jesus is being referred to a number of times here as light. And Ephesians chapter 5. Oops, I'll buy that one too. Five and verse 14. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will what on you? Shine on you. Almost seems like he's a flashlight in a dark place, does it not? Over and over again, we see that Jesus is referred to as light. In fact, I am the light of the world. I mean, all of those kind of things are coming right down to this story. So Jesus is light. Could you make the jump if you lived in ancient times, if all of a sudden everybody started saying that Jesus is the light of the world? What lights our world? Well, we're like electricity. <laughs> but the sun lights our world. So some of the people that worship the sun would all of a sudden think, whoa, is he the sun? So these traditions sometimes get started by people asking questions and there are no answers for them. This time of year, we take a very nostalgic look at things around us. We imagine family, we imagine loss, we imagine joy, we imagine pain. We have nostalgia about giving gifts and receiving gifts, all because of this darkness at this time of year where the sun goes down so early. And this time of year, we like to celebrate. And there are many, many celebrations. I mean, I looked on the calendar this last week of all the celebrations that happen in December. You should do that sometime. It is crazy. From December 1 to December 30, it seems like there are more celebrations for a holiday around the world somewhere than any other month, all in the Northern Hemisphere. Let me say that again. All in the northern hemisphere. Why is that? It's winter in the north. Because right now, down in Australia, the longest days of the year are happening in the most sunshine. So it's kind of interesting that most of the people that I'm going to be talking about today, in fact, 99.9% .9 of them, are all in the northern hemisphere. And all of the celebrations of this type in December happen in the northern hemisphere. So, Hanukkah. Pearl Harbor Day, that has nothing to do with any of that except for the bombs that went off. I mean, my family experienced that. Kwanzaa, Christmas, and a myriad of other things that celebrate the death of the sun and the resurrection of the sun. Let's talk about this tradition that we call Christmas. Let's talk about the myriad of other days that are surrounding this, and let's talk about the tradition of lighting a tree and giving gifts. In and of itself, there are some origins to some of these that make your eyebrow go, hmm, that's a little interesting. For instance, did you know the 12 days of Christmas? How many of you like to sing that song? 
I'm like, that is so many gifts, I would, my house would be full, and I would not want Lords of Leaping, sorry, and ladies dancing, and maids of milking. No, I, I've been in milking parlors, no thanks. I don't want to clean up afterward. Many of you grew up on farms, too. My wife and her family were all uh, uh, dairy people, so I understand that. I've been up north. Uh, I've even milked a cow or two. That's fun for a day. Um, but that's not something that I like to do. But all of this stuff comes from something. I happen to be of a number of different ethnicities, but one of them is Danish and a little bit of uh, Norwegian. And so in the tradition of the uh, Norwegians and Danes and Swedes, there's this holiday called the Yule. Anybody know what that is? Takes almost 12 days for this log to burn. And this log Every time a spark goes up, it's signifying that you'll get more cattle and more pigs and more geese and more chickens. So you want it to spark a lot. Well, how do you do that? Do you dry out the log? No, you don't dry it out. You burn it and let it just spark away because you want lots and plenty. But it took about 12 days to burn. Interesting, huh? Santa and his reindeer. Santa and his reindeer actually come from an old, old tradition that comes back from Persia. And if you don't believe me, you go to history.com. You can type in the origins of Christmas and Santa Claus and all this kind of stuff. And it's interesting that none of this really originates with Christ's birth, but it does. Okay? I'll get back to that. Mithra. Mithra was a god that came out of Persia. And the god of Persia, um, all of a sudden, one day, was whisked into the air in a chariot. And that chariot, he would throw gifts from, and it would land on people. Does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> to be honest with you, I think they stole that story from Elijah. But anyhow, I, it's, he, didn't throw, he only threw a cloak. <laughs> but it's interesting, it goes way, way back. Way, way back. And then the Romans, because they, they owned only a few things themselves, they borrowed from every culture, then they decided that they were going to use this story, and they decided that they were going to give it a different name. And we'll go there in just a little bit. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself in the story. But when we decorate, um, how many of you remember the name trimming the tree? How many of you have ever trimmed a tree? Some of you are like, nope, got out the chainsaw, and then we brought it home, and it was already, well, that's because somebody already trimmed it for you. You had to make sure that it was a nice-looking cone. That's how they trimmed it. So they'd trim off the ones that were kind of weird, and if there was a nest or something in, they would cut that off. Um, I remember one kind of crazy side story that I'll tell you. I remember one of my friends got a tree home, and all of a sudden, about three days later, they had geckos everywhere in the house. The tree had come from the south. <laughs> That's not the trimming you kind of want. That's not the thing. But they still put lights on it and everything like that. But this time of year, it's neat when we do celebrate. We do have origins from Rome, Scandinavia, Babylon, Egypt, and everything in the northern hemisphere. So I know some of you are like, Pastor, I know this stuff. I really know this stuff. But what I'm going to tell you today is kind of a journey. In the next 15 minutes, I'm going to attempt to tell you that there are two lines of thinking. There are many traditions that are wrapping up um, this December 25, and all the things that go into it are really neat to do research on. They are. They're really cool. 
And I believe all of them are a good time of year to give to others. But around this time of year is the winter equinox. And it lasts, winter lasts till when? Well, in, in this state, maybe, I, who knows? <laughs> but typically on the calendar, it lasts till about March. And when we understand that winter starts right now, it is something that is celebrated across the northern hemisphere. And the concepts and practices originate in a long time ago, and some of them really current. For instance, lighting a tree during this time of, of, of the year, you know where that actually comes from. Some of you are like, Rome, and all the candles. Eh, no, not really. I have a piece of paper here, I'll show you. And you can go on History Channel and you can go on these other places and type it in and they'll show you some of the stuff. But uh, this is where the United States gets it. Germany. Germany is the one that brought the Christmas tree tradition in the 16th century. Devout Christians brought decorated trees to their homes. Some built Christmas pyramids of wood and decorated them in evergreens and candles of wood. It was widely held at the belief that Martin Luther, the King, Martin Luther King, the 16th century Protestant reformer, first added lighted candles to a tree, walking toward his home one winter evening and composing a sermon all at the same time. He was in awe of the brilliance of the stars twinkling amidst evergreens. To recapture the scene of his family, he erected a tree in the main room and wired its branches with light, lighted candles. How many of you have ever ever seen a candle lit tree? How long did you leave the candles lit? Not long at all, because what was the typical response from the tree after you let it? Yeah, boom, it would catch fire. And some of you know what the early bulbs were like on the trees. They would catch trees on fire. But most of the 19th century Americans found Christmas trees an oddity. In fact, the early settlers fought against it, but the German and the Irish immigrants that came brought it in full force, but they were actually in the early parts of the United States outlawing any celebration of Christmas during that time of year because they would bring in the evergreens and everything and be like, kind of like the other pagan traditions, and they're like, no, we're not going to have any of this. So all of that kind of stuff came to the United States, and really the United States has made Christmas what it is. In fact, one little side note, did you know the jolly man in the red coat? Where does he come from? Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola was the first one to get the Santa Claus the way we see him today. Basically, if you look at some of the ones pre-1930s um, and 1940s, you see Old Man Winter, and you see some of those pictures with a bigger, taller, thinner, with a bigger beard, uh, Father Time also, you see that. So what does this all have to do with church, and what does this have to do with the birth of Jesus Christ? I'm going to go through some of this stuff a little bit fast, because we already did a little bit, but Mithra, that Persian god, had a uh, disciple called Dionysius, and he called the god Mithra the savior and div divine infant. And he was born December 25 to December 31st. And according to the Greek mythology, because they borrowed the god basically out of the Middle East, 
His mother, Semele, was a mortal woman, and her, and, uh, her husband was Zeus, or I would say the one that gave her the child was Zeus, the king of the gods. People commemorated his birthday on the 30th of December, and even Homer himself commented about this and wrote carols about this. And before any of you get scared to death that you're worshiping the wrong God, you're not, because there is always a fake before the real. If you even look at this birth of our church and the birth of Jesus Christ, there's always a fake before there's a real. Because about 40 to 50 years, maybe 80 years before Jesus, there was another Joshua, and he came to save his people, but it didn't work out for him because he was not the Messiah. So every time that there is an authentic thing from God, the devil always tries to create something around there that looks something like it, but is not it. So when we go to the Roman era, when Jesus is around, because I don't know how many of you know this, but the Greeks were before Jesus, and the Romans were during Jesus' time. And so now we find ourselves looking at all the traditions of the mankind and realizing that somewhere in December... There's something special going to happen, but what? Okay? Now I'm going to go back, way back. How many of you like Egyptian history? I love to go, and I, one of my things that I'm going to do in my life is I am going to go to Giza. I'm going to go to the museums, and I'm going to go see the pyramids. I want to see that because it's really ancient. Well, believe it or not, the Egyptians, they had a tradition too, and I don't know how many of you know the gods of Egypt, but there was one that looks like a hawk and wears this hat that is a sun. And his name is Amun-Ra, yes. And um, it's interesting because they would celebrate this time of year, but not for the right reason. They would celebrate because their god was getting sick. When the, when the fall came, their god started to get sick. And right around December 21 to 22, he would start to get better. Why would that be? The change in season and the days get longer after the 22nd, 21st, 22nd, depends on the year. And so they would say, oh, he's healing and he is going to get better. They would take palm fronds and put them in their houses. They're like, whoa, pastor, that sounds amazing. That's just wild. I mean, we're worshiping all these foreign gods? Not necessarily. It's interesting that when we get to this time of year, we all of a sudden think about all the things that are going on in the world. And by the way, Egypt is in the what hemisphere? Northern hemisphere. Yeah, just barely, but in the northern hemisphere. What is this one? Yeah, Hanukkah or Hanukkah. Hanukkah is a celebration of eight days in late November and into December uh, 20th. It depends on, you know, the year and harvest and all that kind of stuff. It moves with the Jewish calendar. Uh, this year, it is December 18 to 26. Uh, a Syrian king, or we could call him Greek also, but he's actually a Syrian king, ordered the Jews to abandon the Torah and publicly worship the Greek gods. In fact, they put Greek gods in the temple. Well, there was a guy named Judas, not the one we know, but Judas Maccabeus, and he decided that, nope, this is not going to happen. And this is still before Jesus, by the way. He decided, that's not going to happen. We're going to keep the temple pure. And they rose up against this king, Antiochus Epiphanes. Does that name sound familiar? Yeah. Um, 
Some people try and put him with Daniel and Revelation, but the problem with Daniel and Revelation is that he's Greek and not Roman. So he doesn't fit the timeline, and people want him to. But Antiochus came and interrupted the service at the temple, and uh, Judas Maccabeus said, nope, not going to happen. And during that time, um, when they retook the temple and they were fighting, the menorah stayed lit. Not because there was no oil. That is a common myth that a lot of people under, don't understand. But it was the only oil that was blessed was still there. And so it burned for eight days. And that's why we have the menorah with the eight uh, candles. And then the one in the middle to light all the rest of them. So it's, it's amazing at this time of year, we have a lot of festivals and things that show up in December. And this one that shows up even among the Jewish nation right before Jesus comes. 80 years, somewhere in there. So it's interesting to me to see all these festivals and they all have to do with light. And then I read in the Bible that Jesus is the light of the world. And I'm like, well, something's got to happen because I look at this time of year and what significance to the Jewish calendar does it have? What does it have to do with the, the sacrificial system? There is nothing in December really that shows me that there would be anything that is here. I looked and I looked and I'm like, okay, I've got to find it. So I went back and I was like looking on the internet and I'm looking through books and I've done this for years. And all of a sudden it dawned on me this year. I'm like, well, we have kind of a date, kind of. It was Zechariah. When he heard that he was going to have a son, he got really freaked out. And where was he? He was in the temple. Well, that would be something that God might communicate through. So I started looking that up, and I'm like, oh, that's as clear as mud, because it doesn't really say, is he a high priest that day, or is he a priest that is serving and burning incense? To be honest with you, I don't think he was the high priest that day, because he names the high priest later on in the, uh, in the Gospels. You see the names, Caiaphas. And so you'd think that he would be named as a high priest, but he says he's going to burn incense, and he says he's of this clan. Now, there was a rotation of, uh, of priests, and they would serve in the temple. There was, I think, 24 rotations. I can't be exact. Let me go see. I'm going to make sure, because we're going to be put online here. I need to make sure that everything is correct. Um, and this is taken, by the way, because I need to give credit due um, when I do some of the study. And some of this study I've done before, but this is uh, a site for Hebrew Christians by John J. Parsons. Um, doesn't always get everything right because they, they have some uh, previous knowledge and things like that that they, they share, and it's not really true. But this is kind of interesting because I think this puts down both of the, the concepts side by side. And it shows that if John the Baptist was conceived in mid-May or June and born 40 weeks later, it would be on Nisan 15, the Passover. Um, because John's father was a Levite who was assigned to serve the temple during the course of Avaya, the eighth course of the year. And they have a civil calendar and a holy calendar. One is that is, so it's a little different. For us, we just have one calendar. And uh, we just have to go off that. And then we uh, kind of have holy months and things like that through the year. But they had two different calendars. And their calendar started at Nissan, which is when? Not your car. It starts in March and April in that time. So every time you do these rounds, you have to find out 
exactly when it starts. So if it was in March, you found out he was born, you go nine and a half months, where'd he come to? Everybody's like, calculate, calculate, calculate. Huh? December. So there is one calculation. Now, if he was born in December, and there's six months from December is when? June. Well, that didn't turn out either, did it? <laughs> so how we calculate things is very interesting because if you have the argument that Jesus is going to be born in December, if it was Yom Kippur and um, you count um, nine and a half months from there and then you go in the middle of it with six months, you come out right about December 25. So if you do that, if you think that he was born on the day of, I mean, he was conceived on the day of atonement, six months later, Jesus was conceived, you come to about the day of atonement. Doesn't float with me. It doesn't float with me. I believe that he was probably in a rotation and that he was probably conceived six months after John the Baptist. And that would put Jesus' conception right around December 15 to 20. That makes more sense to me because I know the church that kind of promoted this and the Immaculate Conception is way more important than the actual birth. And so I would think that that might make some sense that basically this time of year Jesus was conceived six months after John the Baptist was conceived. If you want to get the details of it because some of you are swimming in your head right now, I may not have been clear enough um, I would like you to look and say, I would like to look at that and see exactly, Pastor, because I'm a little skeptical. But it would be that Jesus was conceived right around November, December. Forty weeks later would be a thing called Sukkot. And that is called the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles makes sense to me. And it makes sense for a number of different reasons. The first one is that when Jesus says, I'm going to come and be with you, I'm going to live with you, the word that it uses in the Old Testament and the New Testament is tabernacle. And when you use the word tabernacle, it gives me a feeling and a thinking that maybe it has something to do with tabernacling. And when they talk about Sukkot, it is also the Feast of Tabernacles. And they, don't, they live in tents. And it's the celebration of the end of their journey from across the desert. Also, it is something interesting that there is a cup that is given during this time too. And that cup is the cup of Elijah. Did you hear me? The cup of Elijah. When I read the last verse of Malachi, when I read that, that, that little uh, chapter there, did you hear anything about Elijah? Yeah, so it, it seems to me that this fits better. And I know that it's, it's kind of circumstantial evidence, but it seems to fit better that if Jesus is born this time of year, there's nothing fulfilled in the feasts, there's nothing fulfilled in the sanctuary. But if he was conceived this time of year, that would put him nine and a half months from now, or early this part of this month, it would put him right at the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tents. So anyhow, when you look through this, you see all of the things that are going on around him during this time of year, 
and the light of the world is described over and over again, it's amazing to me to see that every time that I look in the scriptures, every time that I see God, I see that he is referred to as the light of the world. So is it appropriate to light things up in the darkest part of the world, the darkest time of the year? I'm gonna leave that with you. For me, I don't think there's any harm in it. I think it's something that is very evangelistic this time of year because every single denomination and religion of the world right now is celebrating the fact that light is about ready to return. And we know the one that created light. We know the one that created light, and I know that if you go back to ancient Israel, you find a bunch of celebrations. In fact, if you look at Zechariah foretelling John the Baptist's birth in Luke 1, 5 to 25, you talk about Mary foretelling Jesus' birth in Luke 2, 26 to 38. If you look at Joseph being given the information in Matthew 1, 18 to 25, the place that they go in trying to save Jesus' life because the king wanted to kill them was where? Egypt. The symbolicness of this is immense because in this time of year when Jesus is trying to make sure that we understand that the Savior is coming to this world, that God is coming and he's going to save his people from their sins, he puts it in a place that is the most strange in the world. It's among all the pagan traditions and everything and he says, you want to know the real true God? Here he is, the one who created all the lights. When you look at the child that is in your house or in your sister's or your uncle's or your aunt's house or anywhere you see a baby, what do you think about? Well, automatically, some of us want to touch that cute little face. I mean, I'm sorry, we do. Please, this time of year, don't do that. We have all kinds of stuff going on right now. RSV, <laughs> the names go on and on and on. Please keep the babies healthy. But when we see the children, we have this feeling of... <sighs> so when Jesus came to this earth, he came as a baby. To grow up in the world that we, we have here, and as he grew up, we realized he wasn't just human, but that he was God. And we realized that he was going to sacrifice himself for us and become the light that would shine in darkness, a hope that we'll never, ever be able to describe to anyone else unless you partake of it yourself. To enter into a relationship with Jesus when he says, I'm coming to tabernacle with you. So at the end of December here, if we fast forward to a September, October, the Day of Atonement, wouldn't it be amazing to be Jesus' family, realizing that he's not going to save our nation. He's not going to be a political pundit. He's not going to take over this country. He's going to sacrifice himself. This time of year, we come to the realization that it doesn't matter if Pastor Nelson can't do math. It can't it does not matter if Jesus was born in the spring or in the fall or in the winter or in the summer. What really matters is that he came here to tabernacle with us. That he was the light of the world 
and that I can do all kinds of gymnastics trying to prove my point that it was at the Feast of Tabernacles and somebody else could do all the gymnastics that they wanted to produce it on December 25. But unfortunately, when we worship, sometimes we forget what we're worshiping. Could you fast forward to the next slide? I don't think this thing's working. Maybe we're frozen. Somebody doesn't want you to hear about this. <laughs> so let's go old-fashioned, shall we? Oh, there it is, okay. If God were to send himself as a sacrifice for our sins, what would he want us to worship? Would he want us to worship a day that the birth of Jesus happened? A place that Jesus was born? The act of his birth? I think when he came, he, like Moses, wanted us not to just look at the tabernacling with one another, but he wanted to look not at my birth, not at my life, not at my death, my resurrection. Those are all important. But I want you to realize that you can worship me, God says. If you worship God, it doesn't matter that he was born here on earth or in heaven or where he was born, but that whatever he says is true. Whether it's announcement of Jesus uh, to Mary or Joseph about his birth, the angels and the uh, shepherds, no matter what it is, that we take it at face value that God came to this world. And when he came, the only question that we should have is, are we going to worship the Son of God, S-O-N? Or are we going to worship all the other things that God made, the S-U-N, or any of the other stars or anything like that? The question for us today is that if Joshua or Jesus, same thing, is the Messiah, the prophet Isaiah said in the chapter that we read today, take out your, take out your bulletin, take out your bulletin, what does it say? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Does it mean that he's going to be the government? Nope, they're going to weigh heavy on him. And his name will be called what? Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with the judgment and justice for that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So this season... Really, the thing that we need to concentrate on is not a thing at all, but it's Jesus Christ himself. Even if he wasn't born, he was probably conceived this time of year. So is it okay to proclaim to people that we believe in the name of Jesus Christ because he was real? Yes. So this time of year, no matter what you believe or what you want to practice, I want you to think about what you do in light of Jesus coming here to earth. No matter if he was conceived or born this time of year, I want you to think about that this time of year and what does that mean to you? What does it do for your relationship with Jesus Christ? And if you'd like to take a look at some of those materials, I'll have them out there. We can even make copies if you would like because I think I muddled the, uh, the Tishri and the uh, Siva and all those kind of things. I think I muddled them a little bit. But uh, I do know that 
a lot of times in studying, you find out in the Bible that sometimes you just don't know. And it's okay in this case not to know. But we do know that Jesus did come to earth and did sacrifice himself for us. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you for showing us a lot of waypoints, a lot of things that look forward to your birth. In fact, dear Jesus, you even did it so clearly for some that they showed up from the east following a star. Dear Father, I pray that you'll help us as we try to follow you. As we come to you, dear Father, we pray that you will give us the ability to fall in love with you over and over again. That our relationship with you will only increase by the fact we know that you truly did come to this earth. For the reason we know is to sacrifice yourself so that we may be saved. Thank you for this time of year, this time where we can get together as family and friends. In Jesus' name, amen. Our final song today is hymn number 530, It Is Well With My Soul. I know it's kind of an odd, it's not a Christmas song, but it is kind of the reason for the season song.
Just a clarification, where I muddled a little bit was if John the Baptist was conceived in May and June, you count nine and a half months from there, uh, you have a date. But if you go six months, then you get Jesus being born right around the time of September, October. So if, if you have any questions, it's, it's right here. So if you'd like to take a look at it, uh, I more encourage you to because I think it's something really neat and important. So have a happy Sabbath and Merry Christmas, happy holidays, whatever you call yourself. And uh, we just want to thank you from my family to yours, which some of mine are sick, but uh, we are just wishing you all well. I will see you next week. My wife and my kids will not. They'll be in New York, but we wish you a happy holidays.